Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Director of Outreach and Marketing at the Naval Institute. Joining me is one of my several co-hosts, retired Fleet Master Chief Paul Kingsbury, also on the outreach team and the editor of the new edition of The Chief's Guide. Hello, Paul, and good morning. Good morning. How's it going? It's it's early by our standards, but we have a special guest today. We do. Calling all the way from Japan. Yes. Um, and... Uh, why don't you go ahead and, and, and tee us up? We'll get right to it. All right, sure thing. So we, uh, this morning we got ET2 Patrick Fisher with us. Uh, so I guess, uh, Patrick, it would be Kambawa for you this time, right? You're about 12 hours ahead of us. Uh, 2200, 14, uh, 14. 14 hours ahead. Gotcha, it's been a while. I had a couple tours over there. So uh, it's probably cold up there at this time of the year too, I would expect. We get uh, more snowfall than Buffalo, New York. Holy yes, smokes. Um, but... You know, I had a chance. I was the region master chief there for a few years, and I got to go up to Masawa and visit, but it's beautiful, that's for sure. So, uh, hey, can you just uh, give us a little introduction? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on, first of all. Uh, 36 years old, so I appreciate you calling me young in the uh, Facebook post. That, that made my day. <laughs> you are young by my standards, certainly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 36 years old, joined the Navy. Uh, when I was 29, 2011, uh, USS Iwo Jima, LHD number 7, 2012 to 2017. Nine of those months, I did an IA tour for the USS Ponce uh, out in Fifth Fleet. And then uh, now I'm here wrapping up my last two years in the Navy at CTS-72 in Misawa in an Air Force base. And then I think I read at one point, right, um, when you came in, did you have a degree? Had you, you had some time in college, right, some uh, psychology under your belt? Yes. It, uh, it's paying for itself one day. All right. So uh, a few months ago, uh, you know, I reached out to you. Um, I know back in, uh, you had written a couple articles for Navy Times back in, uh, I think the first one was uh, January of 2018. You wrote an opinion piece uh, titled Don't Ignore Bad Policy and the Indolent Cheese Mess. And then about 10 months later, another op-ed, um, which was basically directed to Vice CNO, Dear VCNO, fix the cheese mess and listen more to junior sailors. So what prompted you to write these two articles? How did it all play out? Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, I just want to say uh, a couple of a couple of thanks before we get started. Um, I don't know if you know, uh, he's now separated from the Navy, but uh, Lieutenant Roger Miso or Miso, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that name right. Yeah, we, we know him. Sure. He's uh, he's contributed to proceedings in the past and he's sort of in a, in, in the... Navalist uh, intelligentsia circles. Sure, we know Roger. Uh, he edited both of my letters, and if it wasn't for him, there's you know there's no way they get submitted, and people think I sound intelligent. So I owe him a huge thanks. So Roger, if you're listening, thank you. And uh, the second shout out is to my chain of command, if you can believe it. Uh, when I submitted those letters, I fully expected uh, reprisal, and there has been none. So uh, my chain of command has handled themselves with, uh, you know, aplomb and it, it, I, I, you know, that means a lot to me and I haven't really uh, had to deal with any, you know, nonsense. So thank you to them. Um, yes. So I wrote the letters because of the, uh, the two collisions, right. In 2017. And if I'm being honest, if it wasn't for the McCain collision, I don't even write the letters at all. Um, so I had had not the best experience with the chief's mess, um, particularly my first command. And 
I thought to myself, you know, okay, maybe this is just isolated to me. Maybe it's just isolated that command, but the Navy seems to be getting the job done. And then when the, uh, you know, the, the Fitzgerald crash happened, I thought, okay, you know, as, as I started reading the details, I was like, ah, oh, you know, not being able to, to move out of the way of a, of a, you know, commercial vessel that was broadcasting its position sounds uh, pretty bad. I was like, well, you know, things like that happen, but when the, uh, you know, when the McCain happened and I started reading details about that, I thought, no, you know what? I'll bet, uh, I'll bet the things that I experienced are, are being experienced by other sailors. And I started talking to some of those sailors more and more. And they were, they were saying, yeah, what, what you're describing sounds a lot like what we deal with. And I feel that the uh, comprehensive review and the, uh, you know, the surface readiness review, um, those kind of missed some of the, you know, the, the bigger points. And that's why I decided to wrote, uh, write about that to help create a dialogue and, you know, bring it to people's attention. Um, you mentioned like uh, most of these are targeted, I think, you know, heavily at the cheese mess. So what are the kind of things that are, what's been your experience? Um, what's been the disconnect I would offer? So you had expectations at some point, I would think of, of chief petty officers in the role of the cheese mess. And those weren't met or, or something's happened. There's a, there's a, a mismatch there. So what, what's been your experience? Uh, do you think it's a, is it a cheese mess issue or is this a Navy issue? Well, it's both. Uh, the cheese mess is not by any means the, the problem, right? Um, the reason I specifically wrote about it, because it's something that we can do today, right? Because we're, uh, a lot of the CR and SRR had, suggestions that were you know aimed at congress or aimed at creating policy changes that are just going to take so long but specifically with cheese mess it wasn't being talked about but it's something that we can change today um and 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 i kind of want to throw out this caveat right so whenever i say something negative about the cheese mess it it comes with a lot of uh comes with a lot of blowback right some will say oh well i've known good chiefs or i'm a good chief so like how could you say something like that and so absolutely from you know from master chief all the way down to chief, I have met some amazing chiefs. So I don't, I don't want you to think that every single chief I've ever come across, you know, was subpar in, in to my expectations. If I could, if I could do, you know, 20 years with some of those chiefs as my direct supervisor, I would. Okay. So I don't want to turn everyone off to this conversation immediately. I'm just talking about the, the select, uh, you know, in, in, and I'm not going to say people, I'm going to say behaviors, right? Cause there's no bad people. There's bad behaviors. I mean, maybe bad people do exist, but that's not what I'm talking about, right? Um, I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to do things that are anti-mission readiness, right? So I want to make that very clear. Um, and so, yeah, so the specific examples. So uh, I just kind of want to breeze through some of these real quickly. Um, I don't want to get, I'm not going to be too specific about any of these, but uh, I'm going to give some examples, and as you're listening to the examples, I want you to think about, uh, you know, how many other sailors, junior enlisted sailors, um, do you think are sharing these examples? Do you know what I mean? Like, is is this unique to me, or is this probably more, like, on average, like, is, like what's going on around the fleet? So these, some of these things are specifically talked about by the CNO in, uh, in, uh, in you know, in N1 in some of their publications and, and I know that they're looking to do a round turn on it. Um, so I know that they're aware of it, but, um, so like, for example, when I got to my ship, December 20th, uh, 2012, I showed up 
It was the day they had gone back from deployment. Uh, no one from my chain of command greeted me. Uh, the guy that was on watch put me in a, you know, a rack that was locked, didn't have any curtains. Uh, I had to keep my, my stuff up in the work center all the way on the 05. I didn't know anyone. No one showed me around the ship. Um, it was December 20th, you know, so Christmas was there. It was, I didn't have a car. So it was just, it was just kind of depressing, really. Um, so that was tough. That was a tough welcome aboard. Um, and then, of course, you know, you, when you get back from uh, deployment, you have palm period. So I didn't meet anyone until after the second palm period was over. So that was that was kind of a tough, tough start. And uh, I can't help but wonder how many other sailors uh, had that. And that's 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 not good. You know, we kind of we kind of in the Navy think like, oh, well, you know, that's just kind of the charm, the culture of the Navy. But that we need to get away from that. Right. And we definitely need the chiefs. They should have asked the question like, hey, how was your experience? You know, did you meet someone? Da, 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 da. And that, that never happened. So especially in light that we have a, you know, or we're supposed to have a robust sponsor program. So before you even got there, you know, someone, probably a peer should have uh, reached out to you at some point. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, okay. So, you know how, uh, so I had to do some, uh, you know, you PCS, right? So my pay started to fluctuate and it was like six, seven, eight hundred dollars, whatever it was. And uh, at the different commands, I'd go to, you know, the PSDs and say, hey, what's going on? And I got three different answers. And so I took my uh, LESs to a master chief at my ship and I said, you know, could you look into this for me? And he said, well, your pay just fluctuates. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, when you when you transfer from one command to another, your pay is going to fluctuate. They got to catch up with, you know, whatever your information, then eventually they'll get it right. And I and he didn't even look at my LES statements. Like he didn't look into it. Like, like that was the answer he gave me. And, and, uh, and he just gave me this look like now go away. I'm like, okay. You know, so, uh, already within, you know, four months, it was just, you know, just kind of like one hit after another, um, get there. You know, I've been there a little while. You start to notice some things like, you know, this is reflective after, you know, uh, you know, I was there for about three and a half years minus the nine months. Right. Um, so I went to a DRB, which we could get into the specifics of, did I deserve it? Did I not deserve it? But my, uh, my chief laughed at me. What, so what's hard. a DRB what, for the, uh, the uninitiated un, in the uh, listener? It population. is a disciplinary review board. And so it's, it's just something that you go to. Like, so whenever the chiefs are looking into a matter, to determine if something improper happened, they hold a DRB. It's just you and a panel of chiefs and, you answer their questions and they decide whether or not to escalate it. So this um, is something so that yeah. doesn't merit NJP, you know, so it doesn't rise to that level, but some, let's just call it a minor transgression that they want to address. Yes. And, and that's what it should be used for. In my case, in the, uh, the other two sailors, there were, I, mean, I guess in their view is a transgression, but anyway, uh, yeah. So we went and my chief was laughing so hard Right. He had to put his finger in his mouth and turn around because he thought this was funny. Um, I didn't think it was funny. And then the uh, master chief running the DRB told me that DRBs are a time for me to be quiet and not talk. And I was like, okay, well, I guess we can just get rid of the review and the R, right? Because he just told me what he thought of me and, and that was it. He didn't really care what I had to say. So that didn't seem like a good use of anyone's time. And then, uh, but this isn't even a joke. The other guy, there was three of us. The, the third guy that went to DRB, I, I kid you not, 
uh, got a counseling shit because he supposedly asked the CMC a question. Uh, his chain of command said, you're not allowed to ask the CMC a question without asking us first. And the, the cherry on top was the guy never even asked the CMC the question because I know the guy and he's not the type of guy that would ask the question. Right. And so it's kind of funny. I asked one of the chiefs later, I was like, Hey chief, I know this guy didn't talk to the CMC. Like, did you ask the CMC? And the chief tells me, he goes, yeah, we asked the CMC if he talked to him and he said he doesn't remember talk to, uh, talking to him, but he does remember talking to a lot of other sailors about that particular topic. So it's possible that he did. And I said, okay, did all those other sailors, you know, go to DRB too? You know, like sailors, like uh, our chief and a, and a master chief would call a sailor in and they would just, you know, call them worthless because they didn't have their air pin uh, or their uh, surface pin, you know, those, those, no, those nice warfares and, I, got, I don't think you should be calling sailors worthless. Uh, we had a work center supervisor. It was during in-serv. I don't know if you guys are uh, – for at home, in-serv is, is a pretty uh, stressful time for everyone, right? So all the people in the work center were, were really stressed out, and the, and the work center supervisor tells their chief, he's like, hey, man, everyone's really stressed out. You know, maybe we can do something to, to turn around the morale. And the chief just held his fists up to his eyes and was like, boo-hoo, you know, um, suck it up. And then when the work center supervisor was like, no, I'm serious. He was like, you know, you need to shut the F up. But the, the worst ones, there was a sailor in E4 that I recommended for the meritorious advancement. Uh, my chain of command agreed and we routed his paperwork up and he didn't get selected. So I thought, okay, uh, I'll look into it, you know? So I started with uh, the lowest of the low and you know, my LPO went all the way up to the commanding officer. I asked everyone. Everyone was okay. And uh, the commanding officer, and I'm, there's a meeting, me, the CO, and the CMC. And uh, I was like, uh, sir, uh, can I ask you a question about the, the MAP program? And he said, uh, yeah, just, just ask the CMC. Because the CO had just, had just done change of command. So it was the old CO that had selected the, you know, the MAP nominees. He was like, yeah, just ask the CMC. So, uh, but the meeting had ended. So... I didn't have a chance to ask the CMC. I had to leave the office. And two days later, I go to the CMC and say, uh, you know, Master Chief, uh, would you be willing to talk to me? And he goes, no, I'm not going to talk to an E5 about it. And he goes, and he says, you know, personally, uh, I don't like the fact that you said that because you're making me seem like me and my office are unscrupulous. And I tried to explain to him, no, I'm just curious, you know, maybe his paperwork didn't make it all the way up or, you know, I was just curious why, you know, what else he could have done to make it. And uh, believe it or not, my divo and another master chief went to talk to the CMC on my behalf, and he told both of them that he wouldn't talk to them about the MAP program. And uh, I had a, um, a chief tell me in confidence that his guy, who he nominated, didn't get selected. And two days after that, the CO comes up to him and says, hey, it's too bad you didn't nominate so-and-so because I think he would have been a really good candidate. So it, it certainly makes me feel like something unscrupulous was going on. Okay, last three. I'll power through it. Uh, our tag-out program manager was an EMC. I asked her if she would be interested in you know, trying to uh, put together a proposal to p petition change for some tag-outs, and she said no. So I went to our uh, electro, uh, le electronics officer, and I said, hey, would you be willing? And when she found out that I talked to electro, uh, she went on the warpath. Uh, she treated me with disrespect. She insulted me in front of 
other junior sailors. She took it out on other sailors in my division. Um, you know, we needed her to issue ESOMS access. For those of you who don't know, ESOMS is a software program that allows sailors to create tag outs, right? Um, well, for three months, she just would ignore our requests, whether it was email or in person. And so those sailors couldn't create tag outs. And well, in the ET world, tag outs are a big part of it. So those sailors, it was like three or four sailors, couldn't, couldn't do tag outs. And that type of petty behavior uh, is eating in admission readiness, right? Um, so there's no, there's no room for that. Um, and then the last two, we these, are, these are the worst. Uh, we had an E4 who was instructed by an E8 to bypass safety components. Right. So for those of you that don't know, you need what's called a departure from specifications form. Right. And that has to be uh, signed by the commanding officer because it could potentially seriously damage the equipment. Uh, so the E8 told the E4, well, you know, um, go ahead and, and bypass this. And the E4 tells him, no, I'm not going to do it. So the, the E8 has another sailor do it who, who did it. OK. The tech reps come on board. They notice that there is this bypass, which is, you know, a big deal. And they say, okay, where's your uh, DFS? Well, we didn't have one. Uh, so then, you know, allegedly one was, uh, you know, sort of uh, fabricated and backdated to uh, CYA for the E8. And then later that E4 uh, performed a spot check incorrectly during an in-serve inspection. He it was, a, it was just a check on a piece of equipment, and he should have used headphones, but he didn't use headphones, even though the MRC says you should use headphones. And he explained, I was, I was shown how to do this uh, by a work center supervisor, and he, was, and he was one of our best techs, right? Well, guess who's at his DRB, that E8? And he's saying, I don't want people like you in my Navy. And we just felt like this guy was railroaded because he told the E8, no, I'm not going to do this, this thing that I shouldn't be doing anyway. And, and then last story, this, uh, this one, uh, you know, like the other one, didn't involve me. Uh, there was an E4, and she was on watch. She was petty officer of the watch. And at about 1430, she gets a phone call from her husband telling her that her uh, infant son had died. She immediately notified her OOD and was not relieved from watch until five hours later. So these are a lot of behavioral examples. I mean, a lot of those things aren't, you know, what people would expect. So there's an attitude that, you know, what's your assessment, right? What are under underneath behaviors or attitudes um, and under, under, underneath those attitudes are value and belief systems. So as you're saying, this just isn't your experience per se, right? You know, I'm, I'm sure I could find examples of this throughout the fleet if I went to commands here or there. So in at a whole, right, what... What do you, what's your assessment here? What is this uh, underlying value and belief system that you think drives these behaviors? So what's driving it is, is that there seems to be this disconnect between the junior and senior sailors as in what's important. I feel like a lot of it's driven by what helps me kind, kind of thing, because what's good for me is good for you. Unfortunately, a lot of these behaviors uh, tend to be a, a byproduct of them helping themselves or a byproduct of them just sort of buying into this culture of, well, that's just, that's just the way the Navy is. That's how it was when I was a junior sailor. 
Um, so that's just how it is. And, you know, it's a tough life, and but that's that's just what we do. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's that kind of military cultural belief system. I think that that uh, I touched on earlier, right? Versus several times that you've brought it up to, and we've heard CNO talk about it, this learning culture. So talk about in the ideal, you know, case, right? I think you say that hey, there's not they're not enabling a learning culture. What do you think we need to do to change that? And then hey, and and other things too. So uh, PLS first class Justin Smith just wrote uh, a, from the deck plates piece. Uh, where was this in the January 2019 edition? And he talks a lot uh, about this to a, a proceedings magazine. Yep. He talks about the advancement process. Um, he talks about this kind of collateral duty pressure, work-life balance, leaders being af- afraid of fear and punishment and leading with fear and punishment, the need for 360 degree evaluations to change this behavior. What do you think about those? Yeah. So these are all things that I've brought up. Uh, so one of the one of the criticisms that I'll get on social media is, well, this guy's writing brand X, as you like to say, and uh, you know why didn't he go through his chain of command? But ask anyone who knows me, I didn't suffer in silence. Uh, uh, I told everyone and anyone who would listen what I think should happen, and I had two sit down conversations with two of my commanding officers about this, and we've even got at my current command there's uh, uh, an instruction that I had a couple sailors, we sit down and we wrote and it's for a, it's just a four page proposal for a command innovation committee, which I think would be really good. You just crowd crowdsource ideas with uh, you know, CO approval. And then you kind of look for solutions, opt test it and see if it works. Um, but yeah, so you want to talk about fixing, right? Okay. So what we can do right now, like today, if and th- I, there was, there was, four points that I wanted to bring up about training specifically. I, can I backtrack or do you want me to just get into how do we, how do we solve that? Let's take the discussion to 30,000 feet, right? I think you've given good deck plates examples. If by backtracking, you mean more specific examples of what you're talking about. Well, um, more about training though. Yeah, that's, that's fine. But I, I think what yeah. the message you was talking about, what Paul was talking about is sort of what are the overarching themes? Cause we want to make sure that the listener can't just dismiss your experiences as a, a small data set, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you had a, a female chief who was not cool and your command had a, a crappy onboarding atmosphere, you know, should have met you at the at the quarter deck with your sponsor and here's your patch, here's your mug, here's your rack curtains, you know, all of that sort of stuff as basic. That And I, I've been in good squadrons and bad squadrons, same way. Uh, you know, my first squadron didn't really act like they cared that you were there. You know, and then the other ones, it was like day one, you know, there's your name tag on your seat, here's your mug, here's your patch, you know, it, your name was already on an airplane, you know, that kind of thing. It, it made a world of difference in terms of, you know, your attitudinal. And the same thing was on, on the maintenance side and the enlisted side of the squadron. They they behaved either really good or really obtuse. Yeah. Because we, we don't have a whole lot of time left. We're, we're like 13 minutes left in the show. What what are the the things the next steps? What what are the things we can do? What are the actionable go dos that a you know a command master chief who happens to be listening or a ship CO can can take for action you know right away? So okay, so let's talk about training specifically. Uh, not until recently did I did I know about a a, a Navetra, uh, the unit coordinators guide. Are you guys familiar with this? Yes, yeah, for PQS. Yes, all we have to do is is just make sure that that's being uh, implemented and enforced. Like it's already out there. Um, I didn't know about it until just recently. 
um, talked to someone at my command and I guess, you know, uh, they started uh, implementing one of the aspects uh, about six months ago, which is, but a lot of the sailors I talked to don't know about it. So if, if I'm a CMC, I go immediately to my department heads and I say, okay, uh, tell me who are your, who's your PQS unit coordinator, right? And then do we have qualified, signature qualifier, PQS qualifiers, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, who are they? Show me the list. So every time they route up a PQS, are the PQS qualifiers, do we have a list to go along with it? Are we matching that up? Um, that's something you can do right now because my, my gut instinct based upon the number of sailors I've talked to, this isn't happening, or at least it's not happening as much as it should. So that's number one. Um, number two, if, you know, you can have uh, the department heads figure out, uh, like, who's the highest ranking sailor in the division that's responsible for knowing all of the tasks that falls under that division, right? So training, training's the, the big one. So that does the LPO and the chief get out and actually train? And that's what we, we didn't get to is like, I ha- did not get training for my LPOs and LCPOs, not nearly as much when it came to in rating. So now, like, like today, tomorrow, we can show up to our command and say, hey, uh, junior sailors, like how much training specifically in rating in, in general seamanship are you getting? Like how many hours per week? And if that number is not high enough, we need, we need to, you know, set a goal and get there. Pretty simple, right? Nav edras, that's kind of big Navy thing. I know that uh, we can't really do anything about that on the deck plates, but some haven't been updated since 1991. Yeah, I'm with I you. Know. I was, uh, I mean, that's, I've seen that for a while too. Yeah, when we're talking about the USSR being the United States' only you know major competitor, I think it's time to update. <laughs> and once again, that's that's where I look beyond you know that's well beyond the you know the purview of the CPOMS. That's a broader systematic thing, and um, I think. But the USSR is coming there. back. Yes, yeah, just stick around. To some, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's so happening. We're just waiting for it to come full circle. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and so uh, one of the things that we didn't get to, like, so for PQS. Uh, I was assigned a PQS that was 28 months old, right? When I started doing it, I started looking at some of the resources, and the resources that were listed were outdated. And so I, I, uh, I sent in, I, I started emailing the PQS uh, manager, the model manager, and I said, you know, all of these reasons is like a laundry list of things that were uh, out of date or wrong. And I said, uh, do you, are you aware of these things? Has anyone ever brought this to your attention? And she goes, no. So I feel like, you know, that that's another thing that, you know, chiefs and, and LPOs could be doing. Like, look at your PQSs that your sailors are doing. Like, number one, can you even locate the, the most up-to-date reference? That's a big one. A lot of sailors can't locate the most up-to-date reference. It doesn't tell you how to, how to get there. I mean, you can Google it, but you're not sure if the one you're looking at is the most up-to-date. So, yeah, we can do that immediately, right? Look at the references, look at the PQS, and actually look at it. You know, we shouldn't be uh, putting in changes after PQS has been out for uh, 28 months. You know, just do training. Just do training. Like, you know, they talk about in the Fort Report, like, did, did the operators know how to um, set the gain on, on the radars to be able to uh, differentiate all the different uh, radar targets, right? Huge. Just do that. Like if you're you're an ETC or you're an OSC or you a QMC or an ACC, whatever you are, just just go out and talk to your talk to your junior sailors about doing the basic functions when it comes to those displays. Do you know how to turn on and off the rotation of the radar? Do you know how to turn on and off the radiation? Right. Simple things like that. Just go out and do that, and you'd be surprised how many sailors need that need that training right now. 
Um, and then lastly, um, I would say get the chief's mess out of the CO suggestion box. If sailors are not comfortable enough talking to their senior enlisted leadership, that, that's a problem. So, you know, if they, they need a direct line to their CO without having that filtered. And I know a lot of sailors that don't use the CO suggestion box to give ideas and suggestions because they don't want that idea being filtered out through the chief's mess. And, you know, that, that's not everyone, but it, it's just something we can do today. Yeah, you called out in the, uh, I think your second article, the Vice CNO, was this atrophying of rating-based knowledge. And once again, like I said, my experience at Fleet Force, you know, as a Fleet Mass Chief and then talking, I was there with you because when I got the job, you know, at Fleet Forces talking to Admiral Davidson, this reset, you know, basically there was a sense the Chiefs, you know, and the Chiefs mess was not, you know, not of their own, you know, belief system, but, you know, the processes, the selection board, um, I'll tell you the time I'd been in the Navy, the advancement process had eroded. You know, these are things where, to your point, right, military requirements manuals are outdated. We don't formally verify rating manuals and military requirements manuals anymore. Um, the selection board, you know, values certain things and drives behavior. So I immediately, you know, went to work to, hey, need a, you know, if I want chiefs to focus and, and value technical competence and things like that, I have to reward that with system and process as well. So, I'll let you know at that high level, at the 50,000-foot view, it was seen and recognized, and things have been put in place to move it that way. Um, you're aware, right? We just reintroduced what used to be a military requirements exam um, because there's a recognition like, hey, no, there's a body of knowledge. It's not just technical expertise. It's institutional expertise um, that you got to, you know, you have to have as you develop. Um, and then this, uh, to your point about PQS, I think, uh, you know, once again, you know, a very, you know, we got very administrative focus on collateral duties, maybe the wrong things. You know, I was having a dialogue with command mass chiefs about, hey, turn your focus more operational, right? So I want command mass chiefs that, yeah, great, you can manage a sponsor program, make sure that those fundamental programs that uh, that we know shape behavior um, and, and shape culture and climate within the commander in place. Um, but they shouldn't be the primary reason for your existence. I want you to be able to walk up to a bridge and know that watch team can function. I want you to be able to like, you know, like you mentioned, Patrick, do you even know about the the health of your PQS program, right? That was a key takeaway, right? Is, is my PQS program robust and valid, right? Because those are legal documents. I'm legally certifying that you are certified to operate this, right? And, and that stuff can come back in court martials and stuff and be held against you. Well, but even beyond that, I think this is, uh, what ET2 is talking about in his most general thesis is not doing that affects readiness, mm-hmm. right? So this is the trigger for, you know, his whole cause celeb is is uh, the the mishaps during the summer of 2017. Yep. You know, the, Patrick, the, his initial thing was, I kind of know what the root cause of this was, or I'm guessing, right. I'm extrapolating from my own experience. So I hear two themes going on here as I listen to his specific examples and they're heartbreaking, you know, because they're imminently solvable. And I will tell you during my era, which was WW Cold War, the same problems existed. And and so I I, want to watch getting into, because we can open the discussion about social science and millennials versus Gen X and and so forth and so on. But this is just bad leadership. And so the two elements I hear is one is you can't fake caring and you have to lead by example. So the the can't fake caring that one when your your paymaster 
um, Patrick was was sort of like, I don't know, pay fluctuates, get out of my window, mm-hmm. right? That's that is the worst. Yep. All he's done is demonstrate to a new sailor on board, you know what? We don't really care about you here, so fend for yourself. Yep. It's like prison, you know. Find your hookups, find your posse, and just stay. You know, just exist and survive. Yep. Um, the machine is not going to help you, and you're a fool if you think it is. So that's bad. Yep. But the others, with respect to either following PQS or knowing the status of any in-serve issue or anything else you could get tested on is technical competence, yep. lead by example. And so in the aviator world, it's like, if you're going to tell me what to do, you better be as good or better than me at those things. Absolutely. This is solvable. Yep. And I think increasingly what we hear from you know, the pages of proceedings and what Pat- Patrick's body of work is it's, it's starting to nibble at systemic, yep. right? And so that this is a wake-up call. Back to you, Patrick. I, I don't know if you want to build on anything I've just uh, spouted off about here. I, I know I came across, like when you hear those examples, you probably think, oh man, this guy, what a whiner, right? Uh, but I, I, I do really appreciate, there, there's some really great, uh, I know I hammer on the cheese mess and they're not the only, there's a lot, Congress, you know, funding, training, all of this. Well, um, there's and, bad officers too. Yeah. I think part of the problem, yeah, ab- a, a bad cheese mess could be a function of a bad, bad wardroom. wardroom. Absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, I've been in very healthy situations and I've been in very um, not so much. And and, uh, I know uh, all the good COs I worked for had a straight line to the master chief. And it was, you know, going Liberty together that it was really awesome to watch. And that solved all problems, you know. Um, So let's not let the officers off the hook here, you know. Um, but certainly what matters to a junior enlisted guy or girl is is the, the, the chief. And, and, you know, their, their work center supervisor and that, that sort of thing. So I don't want to diminish what you're pointing out, but let's also open the aperture and go, you know, th- these kind of issues can go beyond just the chiefs. 60% of the Navy, I, I think is what, E6 and below, something like that. And the biggest factor on how well, you know, we experience the Navy or how well we do our job are the senior enlisted. So I feel like they, you know, for, for better or worse, whatever, they have some of the biggest burden because without, you know, them being on the deck plates in the nitty gritty, um, working hard, you know, n- no matter how good the wardroom is right without, without good leadership and the, the, the senior enlisted, you're just not going to be able to pull it off, you know, cause you're talking about 60% of the Navy. So it, you know, it's just something I, I focus on because they, they affect me and the vast majority of the sailors more than anyone else really. Um, and, and I, you know, well, there's a, there's a symbiotic loop there. You know, I know that I became a better junior officer because of the chiefs and above in my first fleet command. Um, they taught me how to write maintenance action forms. They taught me how to lead sailors. They taught me how to be a better officer, you know, in a vacuum, I was an arrogant, you know, (laughs) whatever. Right. You know, um, and, and, and so, that what you've just described, uh, it's not segmented. But that having been said, there are parts of the workday that are segmented. You know, so if there's an unhealthy environment in the chief's mess, the warder may or may not be aware of it. There's, that doesn't let him off the hook, but they may or not be aware of it tactically as the day goes on. And some chiefs are good at hiding it. I just want to make sure that again we can't dismiss your specific points as one bad command, because yeah. I. It, I think it actually is more universal. That's why we have you on the show. Um, and, and that's why, 
you do represent the dare factor we talk about here at the Naval Institute, which is you've come out of your uh, your your shop um, and deigned to try to solve it through pointing out specific examples. And as for, as for your sins, you're getting savaged on social media and other places, right? You you know this. Um, mm-hmm. And so it does take, when we talk about dare, it takes courage, the kind of courage that ET2 is demonstrating here. Yep. Your motive isn't just to bitch. This isn't a whining session. And I don't think anything that you've said here comes off as whining. I just want to make sure that the examples are not so myopic that they're dismissed prima facie. I think his stories are good. I mean, just in general, right? And if I'm a command mash chief or CO, um, these are a good topic to come down in the mess and just have a discussion, right? Hey, are we healthy? Are we that mess? Am I that chief? I think there's a great point of, of uh, deck plate perspective that often doesn't come out, right? It's starting to come out in writing and other av- avenues. And I think it's a great opportunity for chief's messes to sit uh, and not just the chief's mess, but the wardrooms too, to reflect on, hey, are we generating a culture that's good for readiness uh, and good for climate for our sailors. Yeah, and, and like you said, ET2, uh, your end game is to create a constructive conversation about mission readiness, and that's that's beyond laudable, and, and I believe you are sincere from listening to you during this uh, conversation. So you said at the outset that your command, you, you, you thanked Roger Misso and, and you thanked your chain of command. So after those two op-eds came out in Navy Times, did things get better? Were people more likely to, to listen to a recommendation or criticism or speak truth to power. What have you seen the halo effect of what you've done um, so far? I have had some people reach out and say thank you. Um, I've had some chiefs reach out and uh, start a healthy dialogue. Um, I think that, that's that been really good. Um, but as far as some of the things we talked about, like the training, like how much does your LPO and LCPO train you? Uh, I don't think that's changed from uh, talking to the sailors. I don't think they know much about the uh, unit coordinator's guide, like I was talking about. Um, some do, but not not many. The vast majority have no idea. Unfortunately, as you can tell, I'm not you know the most qualified and the most articulate person to, to speak on this problem. But unfortunately, I seem to be the only one who's speaking up the loudest. So sorry about that. No, I wouldn't apologize. You, you're you're very articulate, and I think your qualifications are your experiences. If a chain of command imagines that they want 360 feedback, if the Naval Institute is in fact the independent forum as it has been since 1873, it includes all rates, all ranks, all all branches of service. So I, I would not uh, caveat your feedback and your you know what you're talking about here with you know maybe I'm not the most qualified. You are exactly the most qualified. Well, I, I appreciate it, but what I'd, what I'd really like uh, is I'd like for someone to, uh, you know, because I'm sure right now I just made 30,000 new friends, and I'd like for one of them, uh, you know, if, if they take exception to it, um, to, to write a five to 600 word, you know, write up, submit it to proceedings, and then let's, uh, let's start the discussion. That's uh, beautiful. I'm all about yep. it. I'm absolutely with that. You're right? our so hero I for that call that to out. action. Yes. yes. So I'll 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 take your social media feedback a little bit, but I'd break, I want to see it shaped out in an article, and then we'll bring on the counterpoint. Hey, thirty seconds. What's what advice would you give to your peers on writing? Just keep at it. It's not easy. You you have to find someone who who enjoys writing. Get with them. Send it to them, and just keep doing it. Gotcha. That's, that's right on. Yep. And then to his point, have someone that, you know, you can vet your ideas and, you know, help you shape your piece. So, hey, uh, ET2, thanks again. Um, 
good conversation, like I said. I think it's a great point of uh, reflection. Uh, whether you know you're a chief or a member of the wardroom, you agree, disagree. Um, it's a point to go back and, and talk about. And to your point, those outstanding chiefs are out there that we've all seen. Um, I think those are more out there than the ones that disappoint. Those are the ones that have to hold their peers accountable, right? That's kind of where we need we need to get the 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 good ones, the ones doing it right, um, to help put pressure on those not doing it right. Uh, and again, and to uh, double click on the call to action that. What we're doing here is just beginning the conversation. Yep. That's the intent. And if you're listening to the Proceedings Podcast, uh, we assume you you think of the Naval Institute top of mind, but you know our, our whole suite of various ways. It's not just Proceedings, the print magazine. We have the blog. We have our social media properties. We have the podcast. podcast. Um, we have Proceedings Today, which is the daily version of Proceedings, the magazine. A uh, whole bunch of stuff coming down the line. And I'll also tease the audience that uh, check out usni.org early next week, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, we're sort of fluctuating on the launch date, but you're going to see an entirely redesigned website. It is really bleeding edge UX. We're very psyched about it. Um, so lots more coming down the pike. Yep. So ET2, thanks for your time. Good luck. Thanks for having the courage to be on the podcast today and also for what you've done previously. Don't let your involvement in the forum stop with just starting a conversation. You know, as this simmers and you have other ideas, you're pushing against an open door with respect to uh, the Naval Institute, as you already know, and uh, and good luck. Thanks, guys. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Proceedings Podcast. We have a couple of cool shows coming up next week as well. As always, victory begins at the Naval Institute. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.